Welcome back once again, everybody, to another episode of the Three Point Threat Podcast. I am your host, Jared Woodcox. And first order of business, have a little bit of an exciting change to announce to you guys. Uh, Purplandblues.com, the website that I've been affiliated with for uh, quite a while now, has recently changed to the jnotes.com. You know, it's going to be the same great content, just a new name, a new look. Uh, with the jazz revamping, we wanted to revamp a little bit and kind of get a little more current with our name and with our logo. So we're really excited about that. So make sure you guys stay connected. We have a lot of great writers on there. Also, the podcast lives there on thejnotes.com. So make sure you check it out. Our new Twitter handle is just at thejnotes. Uh, so pretty simple there. Also, if you're not already doing it, make sure you're following the brand new Three Point Threat Twitter. Uh, that handle is at 3P Threat Podcast. And, um, you know, a lot of great content on all of those and hope you guys will stay up to date with it. For the show today, uh, my J-Notes colleague, Ryan Assen, is going to be joining me over the phone for all three points. So excited to have him back on the show once again. For point number one, Ryan and I are going to discuss, you know, simply our favorite jazz free agent signing this offseason. Uh, there's quite a few to choose from, but we want to talk about which one each of us thinks is going to be the best fit for the jazz. For point number two, we'll give our predictions about what the standings in the West are going to look like. Um, obviously, a lot happened this offseason among Western Conference teams, so it should be pretty exciting. Then for point number three, uh, Ryan and I both have some bold predictions that we want to give for the 2017-18 Utah Jazz. So without further ado, let's jump right in. I'm going to welcome Ryan Aston to the show and get into point number one. Point one. All right. First of all, I want to welcome uh, Ryan Aston, my, my J-Notes colleague, back to the show. How are you doing, Ryan? I'm good. I'm good. Glad to be back on. Yeah, it's kind of weird to refer to you as my J Notes colleague. Got so used to purple and blues, but I know I'm excited about the rebrand. How about you? Yeah, you know, it, it's kind of funny. We we kind of established ourselves with purple and blues, and it's a, it's a little scary, but I'm excited about it. I dig it. I, I think people will like it. Yeah, I agree. I think people will catch on, and the new logo's cool. So, you know, I said in the intro, make sure everyone is following uh, the J Notes on Twitter and checking out the jnotes.com. So we'll be excited for that. Um, but for point number one, um, Ryan, I wanted us to talk about, you know, our favorite free agent signing. Obviously, the Jazz have had a few in um, Jonas Jurebko, Davos Sefalosha, Epe Yudo, and most recently, Royce O'Neal. And I wanted to ask you, of those four, who is your favorite free agent signing the Jazz just added? Well, I like them all. I mean, I think if you're like a hardcore hoops junkie, like these are guys that are sneaky good players that, that guys like us would appreciate. Um, but among those, uh, for me, it's Jonas Jarepko. Okay. Awesome. How, how come? What are you um, thinking there? Well, I've been a big fan of his since his rookie year. I mean, he that was kind of a weird period for Detroit. Like, they were just kind of coming off the Chauncey Billups, like those teams. Prince and Rick Hamilton were still there, but that was actually the summer that Joe Dumars signed Ben Gordon and Charlie Villanueva, and we, we all know how that turned out. Yep. <laughs> the time just seemed all right. Ben Gordon's like a 20-point scorer, and... I was kind of excited for it, but in the end, it was a really bad season, and, and kind of the lone bright spot for them was was Jarepko to me. Unfortunately, he had that Achilles next year, and I really think that set him back, and and maybe we never saw the Jarepko we would have. 
leader. He has that size. He doesn't have the crazy assist numbers, but he's a good passer, and he's a smart team defender. I, I, I really like it. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I really like I, I mentioned a couple podcasts back, um, or maybe the last one, I don't recall exactly, but I loved, in like in Game 3 of the Eastern Conference Finals this past year, how he just came out and was such a spark plug, and he played so well, and I think the Jazz are expecting him to do that, you know, almost on a nightly basis, so I really like that about him for sure. Yeah, um, like, he, he was really, uh, I mean, that, that's the number one seed in the East, and he's playing, you know, 15, 18 minutes a night, that, that's an important part of a, a really good team, and, and I don't think his skills were even fully utilized with, with Boston, so I'm hoping he can actually get a little better. Yeah, I agree. And, and you know, I, I like Drebko. Kind of a side note thing that I like about him too, and I'm sure you do too, was the whole, you know, the fact that he likes the Jazz. He talked about how he he was a big fan of Andre Karolinko, how he had a Carl Malone jersey. I love all that as well as kind of a bonus. Um, but for me, I guess from an on-court perspective, I'd say my favorite free agent signing was uh, Tabo Cephalosha. Um, I just love how he's such a gritty defender, and I feel like he brings a lot of attitude and toughness that the Jazz didn't necessarily have last year. Um, I feel like once Trevor Booker left, there was kind of a lack of that edge. Um, I mean, Rudy yeah, Gobert had, yeah, Rudy Gobert had it to an extent, but I think it's nice to have someone that's a little more grizzled, a little more experienced in there. I think Sephalosha will bring that. And then from like a mentor viewpoint, I think he's going to be kind of this year's Joe Johnson as far as the, the new vet that comes in, and he's going to kind of have that role, but more in a defensive standpoint, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and really, like, he's not... He's never been known as this high-level scorer. Like he's he's really good, like off ball and working off screen. Um, but I think what was it with with OKC? He had those two years where he was kind of hovering around forty percent from three. Yeah, exactly. And I think it was David Locke that, that sort of looked through the numbers while he was with the Hawks and found that away from Phillips Arena, he kind of maintained that level from three, and I'm hoping in the Jazz offensive system, I mean, I don't think he can go out there and, and score a ton of points, but I think maybe he's a better three-point shooter than he's shown in the last few years. Yeah, I mean, if we can count on him for even, you know, one to two, hopefully two, threes a game, that's going to be huge. That's going to be just what we need, and then the defense is going to be there. We know that. Absolutely. Yeah, and one thing I like too, I don't know if you saw, you know, in the introductory press conference, I loved when he was talking about how he used to hate playing in Utah and how he's excited now about how those same fans are going to be cheering for him, for him, excuse me. So I think that's going to be cool, just the fact that he knows how tough it is to play there, and now he's going to have that helping him instead of hurting him. So I love that. And I think all these guys really that they've brought in, they're going against the grain for sure. But I really like what they're doing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, you know, even the other guys we didn't mention, I think, are great pickups. But I would agree that, you know, Jonas was probably my, if Cephalosha is my favorite 1A, then Drebko is kind of my 1B. You know, excited about both of them. So glad to hear that we have some similar thoughts on those guys. So with that being said, uh, let's go ahead and move on to point number two, where we chat about our view of the upcoming Western Conference standings. Point two. Uh, so obviously it's pretty early. There's a lot that could still happen this off season. Uh, but as far as all the Western Conference teams stand right now, uh, for point number two, Ryan and I wanted to kind of give our predictions or our thoughts 
for what the Western Conference standings are going to look like next year. So, you know, Ryan, I thought we'd kind of go down the list 1 through 15 and just kind of talk about who we have in a similar spot, who we have different, and really talk about how we think the landscape in the West is going to look next year. So um, I'll be surprised if we're different at number one, but <laughs> obviously at number one I have the Warriors. How about you? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, the Warriors. Yep, there, there's really no disputing it. And quite honestly, I think they honestly got better. I mean, they had uh, Nick Young, they had Caspi, they had Jordan Bell, who looks like a steal of a rookie. Um, I don't know, I just don't see anybody passing them this year unless there's three major injuries, but <laughs> yeah, I just don't see it happening. I actually really dug the Caspi signing. Like, he's not, like, the star guy, but he, he does so much well, and he's, like, a willing defender, and... I don't know. I, uh, I don't want to make any crazy predictions about him, but I, I could see them breaking their own record. I, I honestly thought last season, even though they won the game, they were a better team. Definitely, yeah. And, and I, it's just hard to see them losing games. They're, they're just so deep and so good on both sides of the wall. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think the Caspi signing was so underrated. He's kind of had some bad luck as far as changing teams and, and things like that, but yeah. I think he could be great with them. I agree. So who do you have for number two? Um, I I have the Rockets. I'll, okay. I'll kind of throw a little disclaimer. I, I think the top four in the West, outside of Golden State, it's almost a pick em. I mean, the West is so crazy, I agree. And especially at the top with, with some of the additions that they made. But but I have Houston there. Okay, so I I could be wrong. Obviously, I actually have the Spurs as number two, and I have the Rockets three. I assume we have those flip flopped. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. My reasoning, and again, we'll see how it pans out. But I just think the Spurs are the Spurs. They always seem to be good. Um, I think Rudy Gay was also another underrated pickup. I think under Popovich, he could be special there. Um, I really think Kawhi is every bit. I agree. Yeah, I, I think Kawhi is every bit Durant's equal too. I mean, I think, I think Kawhi can still break out this year. So I have them too. And my only concern with the Rockets is just. You know, I'm, I worry a little bit about their chemistry and their defense, and that's why I have them below the Spurs. But I could see them flip flopped. Yeah, yeah, and, and I mean, Chris Paul's no spring chicken, like, yeah. if he can't stay on the floor, it could be a rough time, he, he's had some injuries in, in recent years, so particularly in the playoffs, and it kind of killed some Clipper playoff runs, but I, I don't know, with the Spurs, like, it, it seems like every year people kind of want to say that this is the year they come down, and they never do, so <laughs> never I, do. I'm not going to bet against them. Yeah. Okay, so how about number four? Who do you have fourth? I have the Thunder. Okay, same here. Um, what are your thoughts on them next year? I think they're going to be really fun to watch. Uh, I'm excited to see Paul George and Russell Westbrook. Yep. I feel like it, it's always interesting to see how players work with Westbrook. And uh, he, he's not exactly a pass-first guy. <laughs> Um, and Paul George is kind of a rental anyway. Um, but I think for this year, they'll be fun to watch and they'll win a lot of games. Um, I don't know that they're like a threat to the Warriors, but they definitely got better for this season, if not in the long term. Yeah, I agree. I think in some ways you could make the argument that, I mean, Paul George isn't as good as Kevin Durant, but I could see the chemistry between Paul George and Westbrook working out better. Um, just because, you know, 
Paul George isn't going to be a number one option anymore. He's going to be a number two option. That's that's pretty clear. Whereas with Kevin Durant and Westbrook, it was always kind of Kevin Durant is the one option, but Westbrook wants to be the one the number one option. Now it's pretty clear who's number one there, at least, at least in my mind. And I do think Paul George is a better defender, obviously. So I think that could be cool for him. Um, I'm excited to see him. I, mean, I think it's kind of a shame that he probably will only be there one year because they could be a fun duo to watch for years to come, in all honesty. It, yeah, it, it is. It's rough. I mean, I don't blame them for making the move. you, you got to try and make a splash, and yeah. they think that's what they need to do to catch the Warriors. It, it's kind of interesting on the stuff with Paul George and Westbrook. It's almost like uh, Kobe and Shaq back in the day didn't really work, and then you bring in Kyle Gasol, and they have this great sort of symbiosis, and they win championships. And, and I can kind of see, like you, with Westbrook and Paul George, how it might be a better fit. Yeah, that's a really good example. Yeah, sure. I mean, we'll see how it plays out, obviously. You know, Paul George, I don't know where his head's going to be at if he's just planning to bounce after this year, but we'll see. I think it could be, I think it could work. So I know for me, one through four was pretty easy. Uh, but five through 10 in the West, would, I feel like it's so interchangeable. I feel like my five could be the 10 and my 10 could be the five and vice versa. So let's just jump right in. Who do you, who do you have is, let's just go five, five, six, and seven. Who do you have five, six, and seven right now? I have the Clippers okay. at five. I have the Jazz at six and the Timberwolves at seven. And, and it's like you said, it's almost an interchangeable thing. And, and the West is so tough. I feel like teams in the West, that are kind of fighting for the eighth spot would be like a top four team in the East. Yep, I agree. So it's pretty tough. Yeah, I mean, my five is probably very much out on a limb, but I got through my top four and was looking at five, and I was just like, man, I, I don't know who to put fifth. Fifth was really hard for me. Um, I actually put the Blazers there, <laughs> which could be totally off. I guess my thinking with that was, you know, the Blazers went 17-6 and six in the last two months of last season. I think Nurkic was a great pickup. Um, I have a ton of confidence in Terry Stotts. I think he's a great coach. And the one thing I look at with Portland... Sure. Yeah, the one thing I look at with Portland is that the year after LaMarcus Aldridge left, a lot of people had them pinned as a lottery team, and they ended up being the fifth seed. Sure. And I really think last year was more of a surprise than, than the year before that. I mean, I still think they're a good team. I trust Stotts. Um, their defense scares me, so I could see them dropping because of that. I think they have some bad contracts, obviously, in Crab and Turner, but I have the Blazers fifth oh, for yeah. those reasons that I mentioned. What are you thinking on the Clippers? Why do you well, have them so high? Or you can talk about the Blazers, too, I guess. Well, with, with the Blazers, I, I think a lot of people kind of forget the fact that a year ago, people were higher on Nurkic than Nikola Jokic, you yep. know, and... and he really had a, an effect on them when he went there. So uh, as far as that goes, I could see him having that effect, and, and they still have Willard and McCollum. That's a crazy backcourt. Like, uh, I could see someone putting them in the playoffs. I had them out. I had them about 10. Um, but, but not due really to anything on, on their side, just more because the West is so tough. Yeah. Um, with the Clippers... The, the tough thing about the Clippers is Blake Griffin has had injury problems his whole career. Danilo Gallinari has also had those problems. If those guys are on the floor and healthy, uh, I love their team, but, but who knows if, if that's going to be the case. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, I mentioned it from the get-go that 
you know, five through 10 was all pretty interchangeable. It's kind of funny because I have Blazers five, you have Clippers five, and then I have Clippers 10 and you just said you have Blazers 10. So there you go. <laughs> That's how hard five through 10 is going to be to predict. Um, then I think you mentioned we both had the Jazz sixth. Um, I mean, I think a lot of casual fans, especially, um, are going to kind of think we're crazy because we lost, you know, our, our superstar, as some people are saying, in Gordon Hayward. Why do you think the Jazz stay sixth in the West? Well, what's your thoughts there? Kind of what I alerted, alluded to in the, the first point, that they're going against the NBA Green with this crazy, like, defensive team. But I kind of like it, and I'm, I'm curious to see how it plays out. I mean, teams that, that are elite, like, top three defensively, like, those yeah. are good teams. I agree. And I think they're going to have some problems scoring, but we haven't seen Ricky Rubio in Quinn Snyder's system, and maybe Rodney Hood makes another step. Or, you know, who knows what Donovan Mitchell's going to do. I, I'm just kind of excited to see it all play out, and, and I think they're going to be better than a lot of people are saying. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you 100%, and, and one thing I will say, I mean, obviously losing Hayward hurt us. That There's no denying that. That's obvious. But I think there's a lot of people out there that haven't paid a ton of attention to his career, that especially Boston fans that think that he's going to be like the second coming of Larry Bird for them. And I think they need to cool yeah. the Jets a little bit because he's a great player, but he's really only proved himself for, for one year. And I think the Jazz, you know, they're so used to a next man up type mentality. I know that's kind of cliche around the league, but the Jazz really had to do it last year because of all the injuries. But I think they're going to be okay. I mean, I believe in Quinn Snyder. I believe in Rudy Gobert. Um, you could argue our bench has gotten even better, just so much depth on it. Um, and then to your point, Ryan, yeah. And then to your point, Ryan, I mean, really it depends a lot on guys like Favors, Hood, Exum, Rubio, Mitchell. They all have to step up. We have to see kind of an improvement like we saw from Gobert and Ingles and Hayward last year. We got to see that with all these yeah. guys too. The one thing I, I would say kind of as a caveat is they don't have the margin of error that they had last season. Like yep. If they're injured again, then they will be bad. Um, but there's just no way of knowing how it's going to play out. I think they're due for some health, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean, they have to stay healthy. I, that's that's a must, I agree. Um, then did you have the Timberwolves 7th, you said? I did, and I, I think they're awesome. They, they made, they got Butler, that they, they've made moves, they have Towns and Williams there. Um, I think in the years ahead, they're going to be up there challenging the Warriors, but, but we have to remember they won 31 games last year. Uh-huh. I mean, there aren't a lot of teams that have pulled off these crazy, like, 25-game turnarounds. I think maybe the Celtics did something close when they brought in Garnett and Ray Allen, um, but, but I think people need to pump the brakes a little bit on them. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. I have the Wolves... Um seventh and, and it's almost like you read my notes on them <laughs> I, I pretty much had the exact same thing to say um like to your point you know they were 13th in the west last year and you look at like the jazz for example and it took them four years to go from when they were dead last in the west 15th all the way up to five i mean they went 15th and 11th and 9th then finally fifth and i mean granted the wolves might do that a little faster because they did add some great pieces like butler and teague and, and crawford and gibson yeah. Um, but I, I just I can't see them taking as big of a leap as some people are saying. Um, I think they're still going to struggle. I think spacing is going to be an issue for them. Um, I do feel I feel more confident about the Timberwolves being a playoff team than even some of the guys I put ahead of them. So I think they'll make the playoffs, but I don't think they'll be that high of a seed if they do. Yeah, that, that's a good point too. I, they, they maybe have a little bit of wiggle room that some of the other teams don't. 
like you said, like, you can almost mix and match these teams anyway from five to ten. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think they'll be there. I think they'll be a playoff team. Yeah. All right, so we already talked about our pick for 10th. Let's just do who do you have for 8, 9, and 10? But the Nuggets sneaking in at 8, um, the Pelicans 9th. And then with 10, I kind of have I have the, the Blazers and the Grizzlies kind of, you know, I, I flip-flopped them yeah. several times. It, it just gets so tough from there, that's for sure. Um, but let's talk about the Nuggets real fast. I have them eighth as well. I thought the Millsap signing was really good. I love Jokic. I just have some concerns about them being as good as some people are saying, mostly because of their lack of defense, their lack of depth. And I'm not sold on their guards, quite frankly, in my case. Yeah, I, mean, I, I liked him when he was drafted, but uh, I mean, he's not. There are a lot of things about him that kind of fly in the face of what the modern NBA point guard should be. He's not like a super efficient player. He's not an amazing three-point shooter. I, I like him. I like his physical attributes. I think he's going to be really good. He's, he's shown some good things, but I, I'm not sold on him either. And just just like the Wolves, like, we need to realize where they finished last season, and, and it's going to take a lot, even with, the Millsap signing to, to get to where people are thinking they should be. Yeah, yeah, I agree. In my mind, I look at it that, you know, they were ninth last year, barely missed the playoffs. And if they make it this next year, I think it's going to be more because some other teams slide rather than the Nuggets have gotten like a ton better. They will be better, but I think more than anything, they'll make the playoffs yeah, sure. because some other teams will slide like the Grizzlies or, or others that might kind of fall out rather than the Nuggets just busting their way into the playoffs, if that makes sense. Well, and if the other team in the West had stood pat and nothing had changed from last season, I'd probably have Denver a lot higher. Yeah. Um, and it's just a tough conference. That's a great point. Um, so then nine, this one kind of surprised me, Ryan. You have the Pelicans up at nine. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm i not a big fan of DeMarcus Cousins, but I, I do think there's something to be said for, for that sort of Twin Towers combo they have. Going. Yeah. I mean, there's tons of talent on that team. You can't deny that. I guess my biggest concern, I have the Pelicans 12th, uh, which we'll get to, I guess, in a bit. But uh, I just worry about their chemistry, um, especially now that you add uh, yeah. Rondo to the mix. I mean, Rondo and Cousins on the same team, I can see that going all kinds of crazy. <laughs> um, yeah, that that's insanity. Yeah. And then I guess I saw that Alvin Gentry said that both Rondo and Holiday were going to start. Um, which from a talent perspective I think is fine. I mean, obviously we talk a lot about how the league is going more to positionless basketball, but I worry about Rondo and Holiday being able to guard opposing shooting guards all that well. I mean, I think Holiday's a good defender. Rondo's a pesky defender. They're not bad defenders by any means. I just worry about those two being able to function together um, as the one and two guards, I guess. Yeah, they're going to be one of my league pass teams and not for for the reason that we usually have league pass teams. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. So I have the the Grizzlies ninth on my end. Um, I, they're kind of, you know, I, to me they're kind of like a JV Spurs team in that they always get counted out, but they always, I feel like, seem to find a way to make it into the playoffs. We'll see if this is the year that, right. that we're right and they don't. Um, I, I really think it is. I think, I mean, I think Fizdale's a good coach and they still have some good pieces like Mike Conley, 
but I also feel like they haven't really gotten better at all this offseason, and everybody else around them did for the most part, so I have a hard time seeing them making the playoffs this year. It's true, and if you look at like last offseason, aside from the Colony thing, their big signing was Chandler Parsons, and isn't it crazy that just a few years ago people would debate like whether Parsons or Gordon Hayward was the better player? Like, yeah. I don't know. that He's been pretty banged up and, and not been able to do much of anything for them, and, and he's starting to creep up on 30, and that's just a bad contract at this point. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, he was good in Houston, uh, really, for that one year where he really kind of broke out, but that that was really it, I thought. Yeah, and, and then I know Tony Allen and Jack Randolph are older, and same with Vince Carter, but, but I think when you lose those three guys, you lose a little bit of your identity and a little bit of your leadership in the locker room, and I think that's going to have a bigger impact than people think. Yeah, big time. I agree there. Um, and then looking at, so for 10th, I mentioned I had the Clippers. I won't dive too big into them again. The one thing I did want to say, though, is I just worry, you know, obviously without Chris Paul, I worry about the leadership on that team because I don't know that Griffin and Jordan are really near the leaders that Chris Paul was, obviously. And um, they lost some depth and experience in Crawford and Redick. And maybe this will be controversial a little bit, but I am not that that big on Doc. I don't think Doc Rivers is as great of a coach as some people think. Maybe I'm wrong on that, but we'll just see how it plays out in L.A. Um, I know you have them fifth, I, and I, I have them tenth, so we'll see where they land. <laughs> I tend to agree on Rivers. Like, I think he, he's, he's a, a great manager of personality, and when he had those stars with the Celtics, he was kind of able to put out some fires uh, with, with like Ray Allen and Rondo yeah. and, and you know just all the egos in the locker room. But, but when he was like coach of the Magic, like – he was sort of perpetually on the hot seat. And since coming to L.A., like, he's he never really taken them to the next level. I mean, they've almost not advanced the Benito Negro days. Yeah, I mean, I agree. And I think a lot of, in a lot of ways that Kevin Garnett, Ray Allen, Paul Pierce team, like you said, while he was a good manager of personalities, I feel like they kind of covered up his deficiencies from a strategic standpoint because they were just so good. You know, strategy-wise, I feel like he hasn't maximized the talent he's had on his roster since he got to L.A., so there's that to consider, I guess. Um, all right, so now closing out the Western Conference, who do you, I know we've talked about a few already, but remind us, who do you have 11 through 15? 11 through 15, I, I mean, there probably aren't a lot of surprises here. We're probably pretty close, yep. with the exception of the, the Trailblazers, which we can kind of see how it might be a good season for them, but I have... The Kings, Lakers, the Mavericks, and the Suns, in that order, kind of rounding out the conference. Okay. Um, on my side, I have the Kings 11. I already mentioned the Pelicans 12. And then I have Mavs, Lakers, Suns at the bottom. And, you know, I, we could talk about these ones for forever, but I think we know all these guys are probably going to struggle, um, especially those bottom three. Um, I guess, what's your take on the Kings? Obviously, we know they added... You know, Vince Carter, George Hill, Zach Randolph. What do you think we're going to see out of them next year? I, I feel like they have the best offseason that they've had in years. Which is kind and of sad. They have an amazing offseason. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I really like George Hill and I like Zach Randolph. And I think they have some leadership there they didn't have before. I just, that ownership group and their front office is it, just, sort of perpetually maligned. It's sort of them and maybe Sarver over with the Suns and the Knicks over the Eastern Conference. They're just like the laughing stock of the league in a way. Yep. 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think I think they'll be a little better next year, but I mean, I should say a little better than they were post boogie trade. But I still don't think they're going to be anything to write home about. Obviously, um, how about the Mavs? I feel like they've kind of taken a weird dip lately. Where do you where do you think of them? Rick Carlisle is probably my favorite NBA coach. Yeah, he's but good. at a certain point, you need talent to really get where you want to go. And he'll maximize the talent that he has. And I really like the Dennis Smith draft pick, but it's probably going to take some time on him. And if that's the case, their best player is Harrison Barnes. And that's not, no disrespect to Harrison Barnes, but that's not really a recipe for success. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, I feel like they have some smart players and obviously one of the best and smartest coaches in the league in my mind. But like you said, just not enough talent to really scare anybody this year. Then there's our defending uh, NBA Summer League champion Lakers, who Lonzo Ball is, is going to lead into the playoffs, right? <laughs> who do you have? What do you have them? Well, Lamar like has already called a shot, so it's as good as done, I think. It's as good as a done deal, right? <laughs> um, yep. I, I think they have some good young pieces, but not nearly enough to get through this the crazy Western Conference. Yeah, I, I like what they're doing. I, I think for all the naysayers out there when, when they kind of made magic the man, uh, he and Rapalinka have done, I think, a pretty good job of bringing in some good young pieces. Kuzma had an awesome summer league. Uh, Ball had an awesome summer league. Um, I like the guys they have. It's just they're years away. Yep. I mean, I could see the Lakers, especially you know if they do get Paul George. There's whispers of LeBron James. I mean, they could get good really fast. But as far as with their yeah. young core they have now, they're still you know, four, three or four years away with that young core unless they get some big-time free agents for sure. If you had to put a number on it, what would you say that the odds are that, that Paul George ends up with the Lakers after this year? From everything I've seen and heard, I'm going to say... I'm going to say upwards of 80%. I'm going to say 80%, 90% that he's going to join the Lakers next year. I just... Yeah, I, I, yeah go ahead. I tend to agree. And if that happens, that obviously change the trajectory. But, but yeah. I don't know. I, I think... <laughs> I, I've talked to some Lakers fans, and I think they need to slow things, slow their roll a little bit. Yeah, and I mean, I think, too, that... Um, I mean, Paul George has kind of played the media in OKC a little bit, and he's been like, well, you know, if... If we do good this year and we challenge the Warriors, I'm open to coming back. And, I mean, he's had the same things to Indiana. You know, I mean, two days before the whole thing broke out that he was going to go to the Lakers, he told them that he wanted to be a Pacer and he wanted to stay there. Talked about that a little bit in my last show. And I, I just, I don't see him, I don't see him staying there, really. So, yeah, I, I think you're right on that. Closing out the Western Conference, uh, do you have the Suns 15th? That's where I have them. Yeah, and, and kind of... Along the same lines as the Lakers, like I like their young guys. I like Chris. I like Bender. I like Jackson. But young guys don't win, and they've made questionable moves in the past. The year they brought Tyson Chandler in, I, I feel like they they could have really started this rebuild off better and earlier than they did. But, but as they stand now, I, I like their guys. It's just going to take time. I love Earl Watson. You got Memo down there. Yeah. But it's just, they're just not there yet. Yeah, I agree. And 
I, I could have some Suns fans will probably hate on me for saying this, but if Booker, if Devin Booker is your best player, uh, you're you're in a little bit of trouble. Uh, I, I just not quite sold yeah. on him. He's a great shooter. He's a great scorer, but he's not a guy that I feel like can be your best player if you're going to be really successful. He has a long way to go on defense and things like that. So I think yeah, it's going to be a long year again for the Suns, and we'll see what they can become down the road. I guess. Yeah, I, I agree. But on that team, I mean. It makes sense that he's your go-to guy, but yeah. I think on a playoff team, yeah, you don't want Devin Booker being your scorer. Yep, I agree. So, okay, well, there you go, guys. There's our, our look at 1 through 15 in the West. Obviously, it's going to be a bloodbath, a lot of teams that are really close to one another. Um, let's move on now to point three, where Ryan and I will give some of our bold predictions for the upcoming Utah Jazz season. Point three. All right, now wrapping up with point number three, uh, Ryan and I decided it'd be fun to take a look at the upcoming season and give a couple of our bold predictions of what we think the Jazz could accomplish next year. And the first one I wanted to bring up, yeah, the first one I wanted to bring up, Ryan, was um, I think Ricky Rubio is going to have a great year in Utah. I think he's really going to revitalize his career, um, kind of revamp it, and, and come out and surprise some people this year. Kind of like George Hill did last year, where he put some some of the best numbers he had of his career. I think Rubio is going to do that this year. Yeah, what, what was it, the, the month of April, I think? Or was it March? Just later in the season, he, he was shooting a three. He was, he was probably playing the best basketball of his career for that month. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I read, I don't know if you saw it or not, but there was a really interesting article from The Ringer um, talking about Ricky Rubio. And kind of the main theme of it was it brought up at the end that, you know, really maybe what Rubio needs is for a team to start believing in him again because he had a ton of hype when he first came into the league and he was kind of unhealthy. And I think that the Jazz are going to help him get that confidence back. I mean, obviously they're going to believe in him. Dennis Lindsay is high on him. And as his confidence goes up, I really think he's going to have a breakout year. So that's my kind of first prediction. Yeah, and with Snyder's offense, I think it fits in like a glove. That's that's totally true, though, what you're saying about his expectations. I mean, people were calling him the Spanish Pete Maravich. Yeah, so hopefully he gets that confidence up, and I have high hopes for him, too. So all right, hit me with your, yeah. your first bold prediction for next year. So I'm going to go out on and, and say by the end of the season, Donovan Mitchell is going to be in the starting five, sort of a la Darren Williams' rookie year. Okay, I like it. What are your thoughts there? Well, a lot of the criticism that Jerry Sloan took with Darren Williams during his rookie year it was just that he didn't play rookies and he really wanted to make him earn it. And I think Quinn Snyder is kind of different in that he'll play who he thinks needs to be out there, regardless of whether it's it's a guy on a guaranteed contract or the star player or the guy in the bench. The Jazz kind of have always espoused that, but I, I feel like Snyder, like like you see it with Exum, he probably had a mandate to play Exum last season, but he, he would yank him if he didn't think he was putting out what he needed. Yeah. And I think Mitchell is going to be a guy that will force his way onto the floor, sort of on the opposite side of that coin. Okay. So do you think, is, is Mitchell going to take... Hood's spot at the two, or is Hood going to slide to the three, and then Ingles will come off the bench? Where do you see him fitting into the starting lineup if he does earn that spot by the end of the year? I, I would like to see Hood slide to the three. The, the one worry I have with it is his durability. Yeah. Like he's already struggling to stay on the court against twos. And if you move him up and he's playing bigger guys, like I worry about that as far as his health. 
But I would really like to see Mitchell kind of in that two spot. Uh, he can play some point guard, but I think I think that's his spot. And, and it's a bold prediction, but, uh, but just the way he played in summer league, I know last time I was on with you, I kind of said he wasn't going to be like this instant hit. And, and maybe fans need to sort of temper their expectations, but he showed something. Yeah, and, and I think if he continues to show those things, like it's going to be hard for for Quinn not to give him like thirty minutes a night. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think it's going to be a learning curve, but I mean, that's why your prediction isn't that he starts in October, it's that he starts by the end of the season. I mean, I think if he can keep building and improving, like you say, that he very well could. And it is a bold prediction, but it's it's also very plausible, I feel like. The one thing that makes me a little nervous about it is that, I mean, if he is starting, um, you know, I mean, Ingles is good off the bench, so I guess that it, this wouldn't quite fit what I'm about to say. But, I mean, there is a chance that if he's starting, it means that probably Hood or Rubio is, is underperforming a little bit, and that's why Mitchell's getting slid into the starting lineup. That's the only thing that's a little scary, but, it, I mean, it could be the reality, too, I guess. It is. It is, and if that happens, I mean, that's when you see the Jazz maybe falling down to where some, some people are expecting them to not do as well. But who knows, maybe, maybe he'll just be so good that, that that will be what he'll have to do. I guess we'll see how it happens. Yeah, that's the hope, obviously, is that he's. it's not that Jazz guys are struggling. It's that Mitchell is just so good that he has to start or that he, he deserves to be on the court. And maybe they find out chemistry-wise that one of their previous starters just works better off the bench. So, yeah, it'd be very interesting to see. I'm excited. His rookie year is one of the things I'm most looking forward to next year. So hopefully it doesn't disappoint. Well, and we've seen the triple wing from Quinn before. And maybe we could see lineups where Mitchell, Hood, and Ingles are all on the floor together for extended stretches. Yeah, that's true, too. All right, so now for my next bold prediction... And you know, I, I'm kind of a I'm kind of a slacker. Maybe I'm kind of a wuss, right? I, I didn't go as bold as you did, <laughs> but or I don't know. Maybe this one's kind of bold. But I think that next year the Jazz are going to take home one of the major awards. Um, and when I say that, I think they're going to win either the Coach of the Year with Quinn Snyder or Defensive Player of the Year with, with Rudy Gobert. I don't think they'll win both just because I don't see the NBA giving a team like the Jazz two awards. But I think they're going to take one of those two home. Obviously, Rudy has gotten a lot of attention lately. Yeah, he, he's going to have a bigger role next year. And I can see Rudy getting it. In the in the case of Snyder, I honestly feel like he was snubbed this last year um, by not being one yeah. of the nominees. I mean, I was okay with D'Antoni winning it. I probably would have voted for D'Antoni too just because of how he revolutionized the Rockets. But I thought Snyder should have been above both Spolstra and Popovich for how we kept such a wounded team above water all year long. I agree. And and I think it's probably kind of a a common knowledge around here, but playing in Utah, being being the Jazz, like they just don't get the exposure that other teams do. Definitely. And, And I think sometimes it takes casual fans and the national guys and and just people outside of Utah kind of more time to to catch on what the Jazz are doing. Um, I thought Rudy was, and Quinn for that matter, I thought they were both kind of deserving of more recognition, not just last year, but the year before. But I think with that small market, there's just going to be that lag. And I think they closed the gap a little bit last year. And next year, I really think they should get the credit that's due. 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, especially if the Jazz are able to, you know, I think you know, the the voters look at it that if the Jazz are able to bounce back and have a good year with Hayward leaving, that just speaks even more volumes to why Snyder and why Gobert deserve that recognition. You know what I mean? Um, that that that'll hopefully be factored into their decision, I guess. Um, so with that, you know, I think that transitions well into your bold prediction. Let us know what's your final thought. What's your final prediction for the Jazz next year? Okay, so if Mitchell starting is crazy, this one is like, fuck me up. I'm going to predict that the Jazz will win 50 games in the 2017-18 season. Oh, I love it. I love it. You know, one less game than last year, so that little regression. But how do you think they, they stay at 50 even without Gordon Hayward? Walk me through your thoughts there. Well, here's the thing. Like, I feel like last year, really, if they're healthy, they're a 61 team. I mean, there are different sort of projections and models out there that give you different numbers. Mm-hmm. But pretty much across the board, they were a better team than the 51 wins that they got. Definitely. Um, so, so they lost Hayward, but, but they have Gobert. They've made these good additions. They're going to be really great defensively, at least on paper. And I think it'll go true once they start playing. I think they're not as good as last year, but last year they were the most banged-up team in the league. If they're healthy, I can see them getting 50. Yeah. No, I think to your point, like we talked about earlier, I mean, obviously Hayward leaving hurts us. But you take that 60, say we would have been a 60-win team last year fully healthy, and if this year we're fully healthy without Hayward and we win 50, I mean, that's still a 10-game drop. Obviously all hypothetical, but it's a hypothetical 10-game drop from where we were, and that really sounds about right. I mean, maybe maybe people think we're going to drop 10 games you know, and go down to more of a 40-41 win team, but if we stay fully healthy, I'm right with you, Ryan. I think that 50 wins is within reach. It's, it's going to be tough. Like you said, small margin of error, but I think it's definitely doable. Yeah, and, and like you said, that that's, and we talked about it earlier, it, it's the margin of error itself. If they stay healthy, they can do it. I mean, most teams don't stay completely healthy throughout a season, and, and if they lose some guys here and there, I think it's it's reasonable to expect them to be kind of in that mid-40 range, and I, I think that's still a good number for them. But yeah. I just feel like the basketball gods have to, to give us some good karma eventually with the injury. Seriously. And they still have... Yeah, and they have the top 10 player in the league, arguably, in Gobert. So I'm going to just say, I'm going to call it when they win 50 games. I love it. And with that, too, I mean, talk a little bit, too, about, I mean, obviously we have a great front office that knows what they're doing in Dennis Lindsay, and now we just learned that we got Zanuck back. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? It's really, it's it's not going to make the huge headline, but he was really a big part of the organization. He ran the D dots, he worked with Lindsay on contracts, he, he had a hand in the scouting. And when he left, like that that was a big loss. And it's really a shame that, that he did it but for advancement in his career and it was all lining up for him and in the end Wes Edens kind of put a stop to it, but I guess Milwaukee's loss is the jazz game and he, David Morley, I'm, I'm also excited about as well. He, he's kind of been around the team already as a consultant, but he he really had a hand in those Pacers teams that really gave LeBron and the Heat some problem. Yeah. And I just think it's never a bad thing to have more experience in your front office. Yeah, I mean, we're getting some great brains together. 
Um, I've talked several times both in articles and on the podcast that I think this year is going to be an evaluation year where we kind of weigh and measure who's going to fit in long term. We're kind of going to be at a crossroads into this year, having all those guys there, you know, available to kind of evaluate and help set a plan for the future. I think is going to be awesome. I mean, this year is going to be exciting, might be a little interesting in some ways, but I'm really excited for two, three years down the road where we're, where we end up. It's going to be awesome to see. Yeah, look, there's a lot to like with the team. I mean, we have a good front office. We have both air. We have you know, assets here. Here I'm saying we like I'm part of the team, but <laughs> they they're upgrading the arena and the practice facility. I, there's just the keyword notwithstanding. There's there's a lot of things to be excited about. Yeah, I agree. Um, so then wanted to wrap up real fast. You know, we were talking about bold predictions. Um, I'm not even going to go out on this crazy of a limb to make a prediction here. Um, but talk to me a little bit about the Kyrie Irving situation. I know that he's obviously demanded that, not demanded, but he, he's asked to be traded. Um, and some people have, have brought up the rumor that was spreading earlier about maybe the Jazz were looking to trade for him. And so now there's all this speculation now. I don't see him coming to the Jazz at all. I don't see a trade happening there at all. But what are your thoughts on that whole situation, Ryan? It's weird, isn't it? Like, Mitch Lawrence was one to kind of put it out there, and pretty quickly, um, I think then it was some kind of three-team, like, signing trade with George Hill, and maybe Paul George would end up with the cast. And right away, people are like, well, no, that doesn't work uh, salary-wise with the CBA, and, and it was kind of dismissed, but then there were also some reports out there that maybe there was some kind of kernel of truth there, Maybe conversations have been had, yeah. but but regardless, I, I feel like GMs are always talking. They're always talking about a lot of guys. That's their job. And even though the Kyrie to the Jazz stuff was out there, I just don't think it, it, it was ever going to be a realistic possibility. And I don't think it is now. Yep, I agree hundred percent. I don't think it ever really had any legs. I mean, did Dennis Lindsay talk with someone in the cash front office about Kyrie Irving? Did they explore it a tiny bit? Maybe. I, I mean, probably there, there there was some, you know, reports that maybe something like that happened. But I don't think it ever was anything serious. I don't think it is. I mean, Kyrie has said his preferred teams. Obviously, the Cavs don't have to trade him to any of those teams. They can do whatever they want with him if they do trade him. But I just don't see it working out to where he ends up with the Jazz. I think other teams will probably have a better offer. I don't think the Jazz, a lot of the trade proposals I saw for him included Rubio. And yes, I mean, is Kyrie better than Rubio? Obviously, we know that. But I don't think the Jazz are just going to give up on Rubio, who they have said they feel like is going to be a good fit and potentially a long-term fit for, you know, a couple of years of Kyrie Irving. I just don't see anything like that happening. Wouldn't that be like a stone-cold move, though? Like, you trade for this guy, you make him fly from Spain to California for the Gordon Hayward meeting. <laughs> and you're talking about, like, he's going to have this great impact on your team, and then you just trade him, like, a week later. <laughs> yeah. It, it would be pretty amazing if that happened, but just from a story standpoint. But Yeah. It, yeah, I mean, the Jazz, honestly, like, if you're the Cavs, who, who do the Jazz have that you want? I mean, it's probably just Rudy Gobert, and you're not going to trade Rudy Gobert. No. Yeah, I mean, I mean, some people have mentioned, you know, a, a package of favors and Hood and X, and kind of the same culprits we've heard all off season and all at the trade deadline. I don't see it happening. I, I think yeah. the Jazz are going to stand pat pretty much from here on out. I mean, obviously, it's worth a call to the Cavs to see, hey, what would it take? You know, maybe they do some exploring there, but I think they're going to kind of stand pat now and really just evaluate what they have and, and see what's going to be the best combination for the future. So that's just, you know, it's come up, and I, I just don't see any legs to it at all. Yeah, I agree. I mean. And 
people have to remember, like, it takes two to tango, and in the case of an Irving trade, it might take three or four, and, and the Cavs money situation is kind of crazy, so just, just to kind of match salary, like, that, that's hard to pull off. Definitely. I agree there. Well, cool. You know, I think, you know, we've kind of covered our bold predictions well. I love, I would love to see Ricky Rubio and Mitchell bust out kind of like we've thought they will. Hope that either Gobert or Snyder or in a perfect world both get an award at the end of the year. Then obviously your 50 win prediction. I love it. I hope we see all those come true. Either way, it's going to be a fun 2017-18 season. You know, it can't come soon enough. We still have quite a while for it, but really looking forward to it. And, yeah. It's the worst time of the year for basketball fans. Yep, it really is. But cool. Well, anyway, Ryan, I want to thank you once again for coming on the show. Um, gl- yeah, it was fun. Yeah, glad to have you. Glad you could call in. I'm sure we'll do it again sometime. want to remind all our listeners out there, make sure you are following our brand new website. It is um, thejnotes.com, formerly Purple and Blues. Uh, the Twitter handle is at thejnotes, so pretty easy to find. Also, make sure you're following the, the new three-point threat Twitter handle, which is at 3 P threat podcast. Um, until next time, guys, thanks for tuning in and uh, go jazz.